and... This is Viewpoint with attorney and author Chuck Chrismeyer. Viewpoint is a one-hour talk show confronting the issues of America's heart and home. And now with today's edition of Viewpoint, here is Chuck Chrismeyer. For someone, today's program may be the most important program you ever listen to. It has nothing to do with me. It has to do with the message. It has to do with what we're going to talk about here today on Viewpoint. And your viewpoint concerning what we talk about believe it or not, will likely determine your destiny. Now, does that sound like it might be important? You better believe it. But that statement is not made out of pride. It's not made because I happen to make it. It's made because God essentially made that statement. You say, what? God made that statement? Well, not directly in those words, but he said, return unto me and I will return unto you. But what does that mean? Israel, the apple of his eye, the people that he took out of Egypt with a mighty hand, delivered them from the rule of Pharaoh, a type of the Antichrist. He delivered them from the burning furnace, from the fiery furnace, from the house of bondage, and yet they rejected him. In fact, we're told in the New Testament that Jesus, Yeshua, came unto his own, and his own received him not, but as many as would receive him. To them he gave authority to become the sons of God, as many as who would believe, trust, and obey his name. Now, yes, that's what believe means. It means to trust And it means to have faith in the Lord and in his promises and to believe his word. All three come from the same root word. And without all three of them, we do not understand what God is looking for in our lives. And Israel didn't understand it either. So as it was with Israel, so it is with us today. We're at a time of great challenge, as you know. We're being tested The whole world is being tested to determine whether, as Abraham Lincoln said once, this nation or any nation so conceived and so dedicated can long endure. But the reality is that that was focusing on a nation. But today, we focus on a people, and particularly those who make up that people from Israel's standpoint. That means the physical descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, who were heirs according to the promise made to Abraham that would be fulfilled in and through Abraham for those who would follow faithful Abraham. But the religious leaders of Jesus' day came to him, and they tested him. They said, We are the sons of Abraham. In other words, don't talk to us about our need to repent. Don't talk to us about our problems. No, we are the sons of Abraham. Don't you get it? And Jesus responded to them and said, If you were the sons and children of Abraham, you would do the works of Abraham. In other words, you'd live by faith. 
You would live according to obedience. You would do the word and the will and the ways of the Lord and not live in a state of spiritual and religious pretense. They said, are you saying that we are not the sons of Abraham? Jesus said, no, in reality, you are not in spiritual reality the sons of Abraham. In fact, your father is the devil. That's what Jesus said. It's pretty amazing. Maybe you've not been aware of it because perhaps you haven't been reading all of your Bible lately. But in fact, that is exactly what Jesus said. And we have exactly the same conundrum today, even in the church, in what's purportedly is God's house. Well, we've removed the cross. We've removed the cross from most of our churches. And in many where it remains, it's a ritual. It keeps people hanging on the cross rather than living for God. And so we're in a state of very much spiritual and religious confusion. And in the midst of all of that religious and spiritual confusion, we have all the other confusion things that are going on that are leading us into a profound state of fear, anxiety, and uh, a sense of increasing hopelessness. But today... We want to talk about the most hope-filled word in the Bible. Now, it may seem strange to you, but the most hope-filled word in the Bible is the Hebrew word teshuva. It means repentance. And it's the focus of Yom Kippur, this very day, called the Day of Atonement. It's the highest holy day of the Jewish year. It is the sixth of the seven feasts of the Lord, and it follows a ten-day period that began with Rosh Hashanah, known in the Bible as the Feast of Trumpets, not Rosh Hashanah, the head of the year, but the Feast of Trumpets. With the blowing of the trumpet, its purpose was to shake the Jewish people, to shake the physical descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob to their very souls, to call them to a place of repentance. Because it was their only hope. In fact, that 10-day period, known as the Days of Awe, were to lead the Jewish people to a place not only of repentance, but a place where their name would not be blotted out of the book of life. Now, maybe you're just getting a little bit of a hint as to why today's program may be the most important program you have ever listened to for someone. Because the ultimate goal of life is to have your name written in the book of life. There was a song that we used to sing years ago. There's a new name written down in glory, and it's mine. Oh, yes, it's mine. Well, 
Is your name written down in glory? In other words, is your name written in the book of life? You say, well, what is this book of life? Well, there are two books. Maybe you didn't know that. There are two books that the Bible talks about. First is the book of the earth. The book of the earth includes all those who have ever lived on this planet. Past, present, and future. All those who have ever and will ever live on this planet. That's the book of the earth. The other is the book of life. And there would be very few names in that book, comparatively speaking. Will your name be there? That's what we want to talk about here today on Viewpoint. And don't answer too quickly. Today, the most important and hope-filled word in the Bible, Teshuva, repentance. Once upon a time, children could pray and read their Bibles in school. Divorces were practically unknown, as was child abuse. In our once great America, virginity and chastity were popular virtues, and homosexuality was an abomination. So what happened in just one generation? Hi, I'm Chuck Chris Meyer, and I urge you to join me daily on Viewpoint, where we discuss the most challenging issues touching our hearts and homes. Could America's moral slide relate to the Fourth Commandment? Listen to Viewpoint on this radio station or anytime at saveus.org. The most important and hope-filled word in the Bible. That's what we're talking about here today on Viewpoint, and we dare not miss this message because all of us are faced with the choice. All of us are faced with whether or not we will participate willingly and joyfully even though lamentably in some respects, in this pattern that produces ultimate hope, teshuva, or repentance. And it has to do with Yom Kippur. Yom Kippur was the most solemn day of the year for the people of Israel. And uh, in fact, oftentimes it's referred to just as the day, uh, a day in which as the Lord said, you shall afflict your souls. Now, what does it mean to afflict your soul? Does it mean to flagellate yourself as uh, many people in uh, the Middle Ages did in order to try to justify themselves before God? No. Does it mean crawling up on your knees to bloody them uh, and somehow gain uh, acceptance before God to crawl up your knees on a toward a cathedral? No. It has nothing to do with that. It has to do with the innermost being of a person. It doesn't have anything particularly to do with the knees, but it has everything to do with the heart. The heart of the matter is always the heart. And Yom Kippur was a day to be devoted to fasting and repenting of one's sins from the past year. Not that they shouldn't have been repenting right along, but it's a day of focused repenting, much like Thanksgiving, you say. Are we supposed to just give thanks uh, thanks on Thanksgiving? No. No, we should be giving thanks all day long, all week long, all year long. Every day, we should be giving thanks. 
because that's the will of God concerning us. Give thanks. But that doesn't mean that you have to wait till Thanksgiving, you see. But it is good that we have that day of remembrance, isn't it? The same is true with regard to Yom Kippur. Yom Kippur is the day of focused repentance for Israel, for the Jewish people. You say, well, it's just for the Jewish people, then why are we talking about it if we're Gentile believers? Well, because it has everything to do with you and with me. That's why. It was the only fast day, mandated excuse me, mandated fast day in the scriptures. And the Israelite who failed to devote himself to fasting and repentance on Yom Kippur was to be cut off from his people. In other words, severed from the congregation. It would be like if you were part of a congregation and what they were doing was so essential to the faith and you refused to participate, therefore you would not be deemed one of the congregation. We're not talking about membership in a congregation. We're talking about how you conduct yourself from the heart and through your behavior. So Yom Kippur was so serious and so solemn for the priesthood of Israel that only on that day of the year was the high priest permitted to enter the Holy of Holies in the temple and to stand before the presence of God's glory. So the high priest was required to wear holy garments woven from white linen instead of his normal colorful garments. He had to come in simply and purely. Now, There is so much more that we could say about that, but we want to keep the focus on the main thing. The main thing is not all the details. The main thing is the heart. The heart of the matter is always the heart. And what is it, what allows us to stand in the presence of God? What allows us to stand in the presence of God is something called holiness and righteousness. The Bible says in the New Testament, the book of Hebrews, that without holiness, no man will ever see the Lord. And that would include women, I think, wouldn't it? Absolutely. No human being, no homo sapiens, will appear before God who isn't clothed in holiness and in righteousness. So the high priest, you see, had to stand in a unique place, pure and holy, in order to represent the people to go in to the Holy of Holies. And that's exactly what happened with Jesus, Yeshua. You see, he was the only begotten Son of God, full of grace and truth. He walked in purity and in holiness. He learned obedience through the things that he suffered, as the Hebrew book of Hebrews says. And so, because he never sinned, he was able to walk into the presence of God the Father, not because he earned it per se, but because he didn't disearn it because of sin that would have disqualified him from entering the presence of God the Father to make intercession for you and for me. 
you can begin to see why all of this was pretty important. In fact, it wasn't just pretty important. It was amazingly important. It was important beyond all possible real understanding by most of us. Now, it's interesting because the Jewish people were to accomplish all of these things on Yom Kippur at the temple. And there were to be temple sacrifices that were made. So, but the modern observance of Yom Kippur doesn't look very much like the biblical observance. And there's a reason for that. There are no sacrifices. Why is that? Because there is no temple. The temple was absolutely required in order for the Jewish people to do teshuva, repentance, and carry out the requirements of Yom Kippur. So, when the temple was no longer available, there was a rabbi by the name of Yohanan ben Zakkai. And he was coming from uh, Jerusalem, and another rabbi, Joshua, followed after him and beheld the temple ruins. And here's what he said, Woe unto us! And Rabbi Joshua cried out, that this, the place where the iniquities of Israel were atoned for, is laid waste. And the rabbi Yohanan responded to him and said, My son, don't be grieved. We have another atonement as effective as this. And what is it? Acts of loving kindness, he said. So based upon the words of that one rabbi, Israel abandoned atonement through the blood and sought it instead through what are called mitzvah or good works. Now, perhaps you can understand perhaps what the Apostle Paul was talking about when he said we can't earn our salvation through good works. Now, you can also possibly understand why, from the uh, purview or viewpoint of the Jewish person today, the most important thing that could ever happen to them would be to rebuild the temple, because they have no ability to be atoned for their sins and the sacrifices that were mandated in the the Tanakh or in the uh, Torah. It's a big deal. Therefore... It is my personal view, and I believe that it will bear out that the one who facilitates the building of the temple, in other words, the world leader that assists and brings the uh, world to the position of accepting the building and even participating in the rebuilding of the temple will ultimately be the counterfeit Christ, the Antichrist. He will be perceived by the Jewish people as the Messiah. For they've waited 2,000 years, well, actually, just under 2,000 years, since Rome destroyed the temple in 70 AD. They've been waiting all this time to be able to be atoned for their sins by obedience 
to the Torah. And they couldn't obey because the temple didn't exist. Therefore, you might say, well, for Christians, that's irrelevant because uh, God doesn't live in temples made with hands. Well, he never did that then either. Well, you say, but we don't require the animal sacrifices in order for salvation. True, but they do because they haven't received Yeshua as Messiah. Therefore, the only hope that they have is repentance through animal sacrifice and the concept of teshuva or repentance that we are going to talk about in the second half of the program, the most hope-filled word in the Bible. Not just for Jewish people, but for Gentiles. And we're going to share a little story that came out today that the chief rabbi of Jerusalem declared shocking the people of Israel. Shocked them. And it has everything to do with the meaning of real repentance. On the other hand, we have Joe Biden, who, in his pro forma way, wishes the Jewish community a meaningful fast on Yom Kippur. He said, in a message to the Jewish community worldwide, Jill and I extend our best, very best wishes for an easy and meaningful fast to all who observe Yom Kippur in the United States, Israel, and around the world. May we each be sealed in the book of life. Really, first of all, repentance is not easy. The fast of repentance is agonizing in many respects. The more you have been an habitual sinner, the more agonizing it is. And we're going to discover that. But it's no no less needed. And God says, if you want to be accepted by me, you must return unto me. But the Jewish people said, well, how, what do you mean? How can we return to you? And then God, through the prophet Malachi, begins to describe to them why they are in such trouble. Before God, their relationship was shattered. You can look at it in the book of Malachi, chapter 1, 2, and 3. Oh, my goodness. It talks like today in America, or Israel, or Australia, or all over the world. The reasons why God said, return unto me, and they didn't get it. Even the religious leaders, the pastors, the, the, the priests, they didn't get it. They thought they were pretty cool. They thought they had it made in the shade. But that's probably why Jesus said in Matthew chapter 7, not everyone who says unto me, Lord, Lord, is going to inherit the kingdom. Only those who do the will of my Father. You know what separates us primarily from God? Not doing his will. 
What kept Jesus in favor with God as a man on the earth? Doing the Father's will. He said, I came not to do my own will, but the will of him that sent me. So whose will have you come to do? Whose will are you doing? Whose will am I doing? This is the big test for us, friends. And on the near edge of the second coming of Jesus Christ, this is perhaps the most important and serious conversation we could ever, ever have. And what a day to do it on Yom Kippur. I'm so glad that you've joined us here today. When we get back, we're going to talk about what does this teshuva or repentance really look like? Maybe you think you know what it looks like, but we're going to go into some detail so that people can gain hope and deliverance and have their name book written in the book of life. We'll be back. There is so much more about Chuck Chris Meyer and Save America Ministries on our website, saveus.org. For example, under the marriage section, God has marriage on his mind. Chuck has some great resources to strengthen your marriage. First off, a fact sheet on the state of the marital union, a fact sheet on the state of ministry, marriage, and morals. Saveus.org. Marriage, divorce, and remarriage. What does the Bible really teach about this? Find all of this at saveus.org. Also, a letter to pastors, the Hosea Project, saveus.org, and many more resources to strengthen your marriage. It's all on Chuck's website, saveus.org. Again, you can listen to Chuck's Viewpoint broadcast live and archived. Save America Ministries website at saveus.org. Teshuvah, the most hope-filled word in the Bible. The English translation, repentance. But what does it mean? Remember, there are two books in which our names can be written. Every human being who ever lived on this planet will have their name written in the book of the earth. That's what the Bible says, the book of the earth. But only those who from God's viewpoint have been reconciled to him, evidenced by their repentance, the attitude of their heart, the holiness and righteousness of their lives as evidence of their repentance, only they will have their names written in the book of life. And that's where everybody wants their name written, right? Almost everybody. But the problem is we're not willing to have our names written there on God's terms. You see, we want to replace God's expectations with our own. Or we want to grade on the curve. We want God to grade on the curve because we grade on the curve. And we look at others and we say, well, we haven't drifted as far as brother so-and-so, as far as uh, th- this guy way over here and that woman over there. Boy, those people are promiscuous. We, we, I, I'm not like that. Well, that's like the parable Jesus spoke of the very religious priest who was standing out there on the street corner and uh, raising in hands publicly and saying, I thank God that I am not like other men. And then there was a 
a poor man over in private beating his chest, realizing in humility that he was a sinner and wanted to be reconciled to God. See, Jesus gives us these kinds of counterbalances to help us to see the problem that we have uh, with understanding repentance. Yesterday, I received a call from the pastor of a very large church in an area of the country that is highly Catholic, Roman Catholic, and that has one of the lower divorce rates in the country. You see, because of Catholic training in the past, it has tended to inhibit people from getting divorced. So, this pastor called me, and he said, Chuck, we've got a problem. Uh, I'm trying to deal with a problem in my congregation, and uh, I I need some help. Do you have some materials that would help me speak in an issue regarding marriage, divorce, remarriage, and uh, marrying only those who are uh, who know the Lord and so on. I said, yes, I, I do. And I will send them to you, which I did, which I will do. I will send them out in the mail tomorrow. But that brings up a problem. See, that pastor is recognizing there's a real problem in his own congregation, with a lack of teshuva, repentance. People wanting to believe because they're in a church or because they are carrying their Bible or singing worship songs or whatever, that somehow, no matter what they do, their names are going to be written in the book of life. This issue came up yesterday in Israel. It has to do with women's ritual baths. Now, as Gentiles, we don't know how to relate to this, but this is a big deal for Jewish women. The ruling was issued by Jerusalem's chief rabbi and halted a longstanding custom of women, married and single, to immerse in a mikvah ritual bath the day before Yom Kippur to heighten their sense of spiritual purity. Now, why would this rabbi, the chief rabbi, make such a ruling? For the holiest day of the Jewish calendar, there requires repentance and the mikvah, which that's the word that is the, the word for the works of the ritual bath. In other words, the obedient performance of the ritual bath. But what's the purpose of the ritual bath? The purpose of the ritual bath is to come before the Lord in purity, in holiness, and in righteousness, particularly after a woman who had her period. You can read about this in the Old Testament. There were reasons why God instituted this. He's the creator, and he knows a lot about it. So, what was the motivation behind the chief rabbi's ruling 
Well, it's what he described as awful promiscuity. Awful promiscuity. Now, here is the Jewish ritual bath, mikvah, for women to somehow demonstrate their willingness to come in righteousness and in holiness and in purity before God, because God's not going to accept anyone who doesn't come before him in purity and righteousness and holiness. Now, you can't wash away your sin in a, in a mikvah bath. But that wasn't really the purpose of it. It was to, for women to come and cleanse themselves so that they would come in purity as women before the Lord. But the chief rabbi saw this and described it as awful promiscuity. So what did he say? What did he see? Well, he explained that in current times, we have arrived at a situation that is so awful that things which we were embarrassed to think about in private and in inner sanctums have become a symbol of freedom and progress. He says, today, people who are modest are considered to be mentally ill and oppressed, and people who uh, people glorify abomination. His concern regarding promiscuity appeared to be a concern that unmarried women who immersed in the mikvah were going to use that to justify having sex outside of marriage. And he could, had good reason for believing that. Because for married women... They were not allowed to return to sexual relationships with their husbands until after their menstrual cycle had completed, they had entered the mikvah bath. So, in recent years, he said, some religiously observant unmarried women who want to have sexual relations with their unmarried partners have sought to immerse in a mikvah first. Ah. Oh. Do you know what this is? He recognized something very, very important. False repentance. The pretense of repentance. And we have the pretense of repentance going on all over the church today. It's everywhere. It's in the pulpits, it's in the pews, it's in uh, uh, publishing, it's in every aspect of the Christian life in this country and around the world. The justification of sin, thinking that somehow God will wink at sin, and yet we pretend to repent. So what is repentance? What does it look like? Why does God want us to repent? Because it's the most, it's the only way we can truly have our relationship restored with him. The only way. There is no other way. There is no other way. You don't have to enter a mikvah bath. That's a ritual. But what you do have to have is have the blood of Jesus cleanse you from all sin, and you can cry to high heaven that the blood of Jesus cleanses me from all sin while you are engaging in promiscuity 
and you are fooling yourself unless you repent. And if you're going into repentance thinking you're going to repeat the scene again, as this chief rabbi in Israel noted, you're fooling yourself. We have hope. And the hope of repentance, teshuva, is so important. And it's Jesus who was the living ark and the living temple of God who gave us the opportunity because of his sacrifice. But if we think, like Joe Biden said, and encourage the people to have an easy day, an easy day of so-called repentance, my goodness, Joe Biden has not a clue. And we can tell he has not a clue by his behavior. When he says, may each of us be sealed in the book of life, how can he make such a statement when he is openly and notoriously and egregiously encouraging and fostering the murder of our young? It doesn't work that way, friends. It doesn't work that way. But you and I have hope. Our hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. We dare not trust anything else, ritual baths, going to church, uh, going through any kind of ritual. No, we dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. And the scripture says, return unto me. He doesn't say God is going to return to you. He says you and I must return to him. Do you feel maybe a little bit separated from God? Guess who moved? We'll be right back to take a look at the most hope-filled word in the Bible. Have you ever considered what the early church was like? Many people are developing a heart longing for a greater fulfillment in our practices as Christians. A recent study showed 53,000 people a week are leaving the back door of America's churches in frustration. What is going on? Why has there not been even a 1% gain among followers of Christ in the last 25 years? Could it be that God is seeking to restore first century Christianity for the 21st century? Jesus said, I'll build my church. Is Christ by his spirit stirring to prepare the church for the 21st century? The early church prayed together and broke bread from house to house. They were family, and it was said by all who observed, behold how they love one another. Incredible. But the same can be found right now. Go to saveus.org and click Sell Church. We can revive first century Christianity for the 21st century. It's about people, not programs. It's about a body, not a building. That's saveus.org. Click Sell Church. Welcome back to Viewpoint. I'm Chuck Chris Meyer. In this segment of the program, we very clearly set forth the concept of teshuva or repentance. This is the most 
hope-filled word in the Bible. Without teshuva, repentance, there is no hope to have your name written in the book of life. The Jewish people in their Yom Kippur uh, High Holy Day have, they, they walk in the concept that if we lament for what happened last year, we now have our book, our, our life written, our name written in the book of life for next year, and the books are closed for last year. That's how they think. The books are closed for last year. And now we start a new year. It's not quite like that with God. In fact, that doesn't come from the Torah. It doesn't come from the Tanakh. It comes from the Talmud, Halakhic laws, rabbinic Judaism. That's where that comes from. The gospel of good works comes from rabbinic Judaism, which is not biblical Judaism. It's rabbinic Judaism. So let's talk about this matter of Yom Kippur and Teshuvah. Before we do, I want to very quickly extend another invitation to our listeners in Massachusetts and Connecticut, uh, even going into New York and so on. We have many, many, many listeners there, and have been on the air there for over 20 years. And we're going to have another one of our uh, breakfasts that are so well received up there on August, excuse me, on October 23rd. On October 23rd, Saturday, you want to make sure you make reservations for this event. The theme is going to be, Behold, He Comes. As history and prophecy are converging before our eyes, how do we, as culture and mass Christians, prepare the way for His coming? My wife and I will be there. Uh, She also speaks. I speak. We'll have all of our books and materials there. Uh, but you're going to have to make reservations. And you need to do it as soon as possible. They're coming in very quickly. Uh, the deadline for reservations is October 13th. And here's how you do it. You go to our website, saveus.org. That's saveus.org. And then choose Viewpoint Breakfast at the top right and sign up. A lot of people are actually... Uh, signing up for two or more people, they know how important this is. Bring a friend. You're not going to be disappointed. They're not going to be disappointed. The cost of the breakfast is $28. It's a full buffet breakfast. It's a great time. It's going to be at the Crestview Country Club in Agawam. Please make your reservations ASAP. Saveus.org. Click Viewpoint Broadcast at the top right or give us a call at 1-800-SAVE-USA. That's 1-800-SAVE-USA. All right. Now, according to uh, Orthodox Judaism, there are four steps of repentance. And just because this says Orthodox Judaism doesn't mean it doesn't apply to us, because it does. Listen carefully. The meaning of teshuva means leaving sin, regret over sin, 
confession of sin before God, and acceptance of his forgiveness for the future. So, let's break that down quickly. Leaving the sin. Leaving the sin consists of stopping the commission of the sinful act or behavior. And you can't do teshuva or repentance if you continue to do the sin. Even if you were to perform the next three steps that we're going to talk about perfectly. Because you have to leave the sin. Repentance means a turning around, a change of mind and heart. Next is regret. Regret or lament consists in in sincerely regretting one's wrong action. One has to be genuinely ashamed and embarrassed over one's sins. And that's why the scripture says that the fear of the Lord is to hate evil. We have to hate evil in our own lives. I didn't say you have to hate yourself. I said you have to hate evil. Do we all sin? Absolutely. That's why we all have to repent. If you say you have not sinned, you make God a liar, and his word isn't in you. But if you will confess your sin, come clean before him in honesty and integrity of heart, lament with great regret, he's faithful and just to forgive your sin and cleanse you from all unrighteousness, but you have to turn from it. Next, confession. Oral confession spoken out loud. So, I should say, I have sinned. I've done this and this, such and such. In other words, you don't play games before God. You don't start making excuses like King Saul did, the first king of Israel, when he sinned and he was in rebellion against God, and he said, but the people made me do it. Other people will say, the devil made me do it. Other people will say, well, I had to. No, you didn't have to. You chose to. And you say, I deeply regret my actions. I declare before God, who knows my innermost thoughts, that I will not do this sin again. That's my goal. Oh, God knows my innermost thoughts. In other words, I can't play games with him. I can't play pretend, a pretend repentance. I can't be involved in pornography, repent of it, confess it, and then go right back to it. There's no legitimacy to the repentance. That's the problem with habitual sin. It's much more difficult to repent and to turn from it. And finally, acceptance for the future consists of resolving your heart never to commit the sin ever again, realizing that God forgives your sin and will cleanse you from all unrighteousness. But not all unrighteousness in the future. If you sin again, contrary to popular opinion in some circles, you still must confess your sin and turn again from it. That's why we have hope. If you say you have not sinned, you make him a liar. So these things are effective for sins committed against God or sins committed against other people. But if they're sins committed against other people, we first have to ask forgiveness from that person before God can accept our repentance.
Oh, isn't that interesting? God wants us to go to other people and ask forgiveness. In other words, he's looking for healing of our relationships on earth so that we are in a position to have complete healing and restoration in our relationship with God in heaven. Hmm. The only thing Israel is missing is the sacrifice for sin. Having rejected Yeshua and his blood, the blood sacrifice, and their only hope is maybe someday there would be a rebuilt temple and the Antichrist will do it for them. Now, if you want to know a little bit more about that fellow, you might want to get a copy of my book, Antichrist, How to Identify the Coming Imposter. Antichrist, How to Identify the Coming Imposter. It's $22. It's on our website, saveus.org, saveus.org. You can give us a call at 1-800-SAVE-USA, 1-800-SAVE-USA, or write to us at Save America Ministries, P.O. Box 70879, Richmond, Virginia, 23255. If you're writing a check at $5 for postage and handling, and I don't think you are going to be disappointed. It's full of information. Oh, but much more than that. It's a book ultimately about transformation. It's a book about you and about me in these end times. Because we can have all the information in the world and still not have our name written in the book of life. Mm. So let's take another look at repentance from a Jewish point of view. It just, it literally means to return. And that's what God calls for. Return unto me, and I will return unto you. Everybody sins. People can stop or minimize those occasions in the future by repenting for past transgressions. So from the Jewish standpoint, the primary purpose of repentance is ethical self-transformation. Ethical self-transformation. In other words, it has to do with good works. But that's not the ultimate goal that God has in mind. The ultimate goal that God has in mind is that our hearts be changed and reborn. Because in sin did our mothers conceive us. All have sinned to come short of the glory of God. God wants a complete change of our hearts, not an annual remembrance so that we can go ahead and do it all again. So when should we repent? Immediately. When the Holy Spirit quickens your mind and heart, you know when that is. Then we have to have keep short accounts with God. It's because of a relationship. If you sin against your early father, earthly mother, you don't want to let that thing stand. You want to go to them 
as quickly as possible and say, please forgive me for my rebellion. Please forgive me for my disobedience. Please forgive me and be specific about it. We have to be attitude and behavior specific in repentance. Now, because of Judaism's understanding of the annual process of divine judgment, Jews believe that God is especially open to repentance during this period uh, from Rosh Hashanah, the blowing of trumpets, the warning, the day of judgment, to Yom Kippur. So, one of their writers in a book called Gates of Repentance, which is kind of a standard work for Jewish ethics, he sets forth a, a, a significant list of things, a process of what repentance looks like. And there's nothing wrong with this from a Christian viewpoint. Not really. So here it is. First of all, regretting and acknowledging sin. Forsaking the sin, that means turning from it. Worrying about the future consequences of the sin. In other words, we have to realize that sin has consequences. It's not just about me. And then we act and speak with humility concerning that sin. We act in a way opposite to that of the sin. For instance, lying, we should speak the truth. We've got a whole lot of government people right now that need to do that, don't we? And there are a whole bunch of other things that we don't have time to get to. And we have to teach others not to sin. We need to forsake sin and embrace the Lord. And aren't you glad that he is full of mercy? His mercy extends to those who fear him. And those who truly fear him will repent. For the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Do you truly fear God? Thanks for joining us here on Viewpoint today. The trumpet's going to sound before too long from heaven. By that time, it will be too late to repent. Today is the day of salvation. God bless and be a blessing. You've been listening to Viewpoint with Chuck Grissmeyer. Viewpoint is supported by the faithful gifts of our listeners. Let me urge you to become a partner with Chuck as a voice to the church declaring vision for the nation. Join us again next time on Viewpoint as we confront the issues of America's heart and home.